Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brendan. I, um, this morning, as Pastor Marcus said, and Brendan as well, we are going to be observing the Lord's Supper just a little bit, but I wanted to kind of set the stage for that a little bit. Um, last Sunday, I challenged you to read through this small, little, itty-bitty, four-chapter book in the Old Testament called Ruth. All right. Should I ask how many had a chance to do that this week? I see some of you raising your hands. So um, if you did, uh, I'm glad. Thank you for doing that. And uh, you will, it will help you in your understanding some this morning. Uh, but I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I, I challenged you to read through the book of Ruth. And so if you did not this past week, I hope coming out of this, you will this week. Um, it's a beautiful story um, that Nowhere in those four chapters mentions uh, the name of Jesus. Okay, It's in the Old Testament. You say, why would it? And so forth. Well, uh, the, the Lord Jesus is not mentioned, yet he is so clearly there. And so I asked you to read that with the, with the question in mind, how do we see Jesus in this little four-chapter book in the Old Testament? The story revolves and begins and centers around a couple by the name of Naomi, and her husband's name was Elimelech. Uh, a little bit of an unusual name, uh, really not for, uh, not when you come to Hebrew names, it's not. Uh, they had two sons by the name of Malon and Kilion. Now, we have several ladies expecting now, so if you're looking for any names there, if you have a boy, there's three good choices, Right? Uh, a couple of good ladies' choices in Naomi and Ruth as well uh, when you talk about um, women who were godly women. But as we look at the beginning of Ruth, uh, tragedy kind of strikes. First of all, uh, there's a famine in the land uh, of Israel, in, the, in Judea. And so Elimelech and Naomi live in Bethlehem. Uh, yes, the same Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Okay, several, quite a few centuries later. Uh, but they live in Bethlehem. However, there, a famine comes upon the land. So Elimelech decides that he is going to pick up his family. Uh, and because of the famine, they're trying, whether he's trying to find a job, just trying to get something to eat, whatever. And he picks up his family and moves to the country of Moab. Takes his wife, his two sons with him. Now, we're not sure. The Bible's not specific on how old his sons were at the time. Uh, because of uh, the, the, the timeline, the Bible later tells us they were there about 10 years and, and what transpires in there. My guess is they were probably uh, middle-aged teenagers uh, during that time. And so here, Elimelech and Naomi take their two teenage boys and they go off to a foreign country of Moab to kind of reestablish their lives. Well, the Bible doesn't say how much time passed, but sometime after they arrived in Moab, probably just a, within a couple of years, tragedy strikes and Elimelech dies. The Bible doesn't say why, but Naomi is left as a widow to raise her two boys. The Bible, in pretty quick uh, sense here in the first part of the book of Ruth, says the boys, as they grow up, they meet a couple of nice Moab uh, girls, and they get married. Malon marries a girl named Ruth. Kilion uh, marries a young girl named Orpah, all right? Not Oprah. I know uh, she would like for you to think she's been around that long and so forth, but uh, uh, no, this is Orpah. And so uh, they, they get married. But again, we don't know exactly how long passes, but somewhere a few years later, tragedy strikes again. 
Not only does Elimelech pass, but Malon and Kilion both die as well. Heartache, right? Heartbreak for this mother. Loses her husband. Just a few years later, after her sons get married, loses both of her sons. Again, Bible doesn't tell us how they died, what happened, and so forth. But what we see there, then, is that Naomi is now by herself. Well, you say, well, she had her daughters, and she did. But here she is. It's her and her daughters-in-law in a foreign country with... Uh, listen, this wasn't 2016, right? It wasn't a, a day and a time in which she could go out and, and get a good job and provide for her daughters-in-law and so forth. And so uh, here were Naomi and her daughter-in-laws in a pretty destitute situation. Now, Naomi does and, and begins to process things a little bit, and she thinks, what is left for me here in Moab? So she decides that she it's time for her to go back to Bethlehem. Back to Judea. And so that's exactly what she determines to do. Uh, she gets, uh, gathers all her things together and gets her two daughters on and said, listen, I'm going back to Bethlehem. Her daughters say, well, listen, we're going with you. As they get everything ready to go and they start going, uh, Naomi then begins to plead with her daughters-in-law and says, listen, girls, um, there is nothing for you with me. There's nothing for you back in Bethlehem. There was something known as uh, a provision in the Hebrew law known as Leverite marriage. It sounds a little bit weird for us, okay? But uh, for them, it was that if, uh, if uh, there was a widow, someone died, the, the next brother would step in and marry that widow and then provide children for his older brother, and they would then become husband and wife. Uh, well, Naomi says, listen, I don't have any more sons, I don't even have a husband. <laughs> even if I had a son today, uh, she says, and, and, and you were to wait for him 20 years, uh, would you really do that? And so Naomi just kind of logically goes through this with Orpah and Ruth and says, listen, girls, there's nothing for you with me. Go back to your mothers. Go back to your home and, 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 and be there with them and, and find you a nice husband and raise you a nice family there back in Moab where you are from. Both the girls, and the interesting thing is here that, that uh, evidently both of these girls had become really close to their mother-in-law really fast, which I believe um, probably indicates um, how, what a high-character woman Naomi was uh, and how, what, what a sweet lady she most likely was. And so uh, both of them cling to her and say, no, we don't want to go back. We want to be with you. She urges them again, go back to your families. Go back. There's nothing, with you, nothing for you with me. Uh, just go back to your families. And, and, and finally, eventually, Orpah uh, hugs and kisses her mother, and evidently she, she kind of sees Naomi's point and says, okay, understand, and she goes back to her, her family, and we, we really don't hear anything else about Orpah. And, uh, however, Ruth, Ruth can't do it. You know, I don't know what went through the heart of Ruth at that time, but uh, I believe uh, she and her mother-in-law had a strong connection what we also learn as we progress through the story and then uh, later on from Scripture is Ruth also at somewhere along the line had, had been converted, had become a follower of uh, the God of Israel. I want you to listen. I want you to look in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. This is a couple of verses here that's a beautiful, beautiful poem. It's a beautiful statement, proclamation of loyalty and faith. And it is a, uh, it's actually a couple of verses that uh, my wife's not in here to correct me. My mother-in-law is. But we had this on our, I think it was on our um, wedding. Uh, we just had a wedding here yesterday. But we had this on our wedding 
20 years ago, 21, almost 21 years ago, when Laura and I got married on our wedding um, insert, whatever you call that thing. Yeah, whatever it is. Anyway. <laughs> but here's what it says. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. It says this. Ruth says to Naomi, entreat me not to leave you. Urge me not to leave you. Don't tell me to go back. Don't do it. Don't urge me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. What a proclamation of loyalty, amen, to her mother-in-law. What a proclamation of faith to the, the, this, this God of Israel. She turned her back on the gods of Moab and, and said, listen, I'm going to put my trust, Naomi, with you and with your God. Amen, right? Friends, um, I want to just take a moment here to just say this. Naomi and Ruth's situation was pretty destitute. Um, they were looking really very realistically, at a life of uh, the rest of their lives of poverty and of um, just having to scrounge and live off of whatever they could find. Um, and at this point, um, Ruth, this was a big step for Ruth to say, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to take care of you, mother in law. I'm going I'm to be there with you and we're going to do this together. Friends, no matter what situation you're in, no matter how destitute the situation may be, there is always hope in the Lord. Amen? There is always hope. And here's the deal. You say, Pastor, I can't see it. Guess what? That's okay. That's faith. Okay? Faith is believing what we cannot see. And believing that if I, if I walk with God, it is better than if I don't. Amen? And so what I encourage you for today is wherever you are, as we continue through the story of, uh, of Ruth and Naomi, friends, God is there for you if you will just put your faith and trust in him. If you will determine that I am going to take my, I, I'm, I'm going to put my future with God. Amen? So what did Ruth and Naomi do? Here they are. They're in a pretty destitute situation. They're headed back to, to Bethlehem. They get back to Bethlehem and... Uh, and everybody remembered Naomi. It says, scripture says they've been gone about 10 years. But, uh, but everybody remembered who Naomi was. They were celebrating. Here's Naomi. She's come back and everything. And, and, and see, the interesting thing about this was the scripture says that as they said, here's Naomi. Uh, Naomi's name meant pleasant. She'd experienced a lot of heartbreak. And so she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Now, I'm not so sure that she was a bitter woman, but she had experienced a lot of heartache and heartbreak, and that could have made anyone bitter. But what we're going to see is how God began to give her light, and God began to show her that as hopeless as her situation seemed, by putting her faith and trust in him, he could bring good things out of bad. Amen? So here they get back to Bethlehem, and, and they're in a pretty destitute situation. And so Ruth says to Naomi, says, Naomi uh, says, please let me go and glean in the fields. Now, gleaning was a process. It was a provision they made in, that God made, left in the, in the Hebrew law 
that when the, when the harvesters came and harvest the fields, they were not to take everything. Now, you know, some people are very thorough and they get every little bit and so forth. Well, they were not to take everything. They were supposed to leave a little bit behind. And that little bit behind were the, were the gleanings. And so um, that, that the, the poor and the destitute and those who were, who were hard off could come behind. And that was kind of their way of, of, of feeding the poor and so forth. So they left those behind. Ruth was simply asking Naomi, is, can, I, can I go glean in the fields? She said, absolutely you can. May God bless you and help you to find favor with whomever field you end up in. So that's exactly what she did. Ruth went off and to glean in the fields, to just basically to get some grain to provide food for her and Naomi. As Ruth goes out into the field, she ends up in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And we're going to come to love Boaz. But Boaz was, the scripture tells us, a very wealthy man. And he was also a relative of Elimelech. Now, Ruth did not know that at the time. So Ruth ends up in Boaz's field. She asks his, uh, his servants if she can glean in the field. And they say, absolutely. Wasn't too long, a little bit later in the day, Boaz comes out to the field. He says to his servants, who's the young lady gleaning out in the field? And they say, well, that is uh, Ruth. She's the young Moabitess woman that came back from Moab with Naomi. And so uh, the scripture tells us that Boaz had heard uh, about uh, Ruth and Naomi. Obviously, he knew Naomi, but he had heard about Ruth. And so he calls her over and has a conversation with her. And she says, please allow me to, to glean in your field. He says, absolutely. In fact, don't go glean in any other field, but you glean in my field. And you stay in that all the way through the harvest. You come and you take what you want. In fact, later on, he tells his harvesters to not only let her glean in the field, but to let a little extra fall for her, to allow, um, to allow her to even glean among the grain. Uh, I, I think we see here in Boaz uh, a man of high character, a man of faith, a man who loved the Lord and who wanted to do what was right. And that shows forth in our text. So Boaz uh, then invites Ruth to come in with all of them for, for the noontime meal. And she eats and they give her bread and vinegar. And in fact, allow her to take some back to Naomi as well. And after lunch, she goes back out in the field. She gleans. In fact, she gleans so much that day. She brings back to Naomi at the end of the day, a whole ephah of barley. And I don't know exactly how much an ephah was, but scripture gives us that Naomi was, Naomi was very well pleased when Ruth got home that night and showed her. In fact, so much so that, that she said, Whose field did you glean in today? Who showed you favor to let you glean in their field that you could gather this much? She said, well, it was a man by the name of Boaz. And uh, I, I don't know, the scripture doesn't say this, but I, I kind of get the feeling that when, when Ruth mentions Boaz's name, Naomi's eyes light up. What could God be up to? What could God be doing that by chance... Ruth ends up in the field of Naomi, of Boaz. Naomi says, listen, I know you don't understand this, but that's awesome. Boaz is one of our close relatives. Now, we hear that and we say, oh, good, he's a relative, right? And that's awesome. We don't know exactly how close of a relative. Uh, kind of the way Scripture unfolds here, probably not a brother, uh, maybe a cousin or a second cousin, maybe even a nephew. We're not sure exactly here, but he is a close relative of Naomi's former or past husband that passed away, Elimelech. And so uh, we'll see here in a minute how that plays out. 
But Ruth goes on to tell Naomi that, yes, Boaz has gleaned in his field. And, and he told me not to glean in anybody else's field, but to come and take as much as I want and to glean and to, to stay in his field through the harvest. Naomi says, yes, absolutely do that. Don't let yourself be found in any other field, but go and glean in his field and uh, let that God may let you be uh, uh, taken care for under his wing. Okay? And so an interesting thing begins to develop. And I, I don't know how, when Naomi began to figure this out, but the rest of harvest season, that's exactly what Ruth did. She went back to Boaz's field and gleaned in the field, and, and Boaz kind of would feel, give a little extra and, and, and made sure that they were taken care of. Now, the interesting thing here is that Boaz evidently was a little bit older than Ruth. Ruth, uh, probably a young girl, um, early 20s or so. Uh, Boaz, we don't know how old he was, but the scripture says, uh, gives indication that he was just a, a little bit older, maybe 40 or so, uh, something along that line, still uh, not married. And so as the days go on, the light goes on in Naomi's head. Because their uh, scripture, God's word, uh, back in Leviticus chapter 25, makes provision for something that the, in the Hebrew is called uh, a goel, all right? Now, uh, let me explain what a goel is. It's translated in our in English a couple different ways. Probably best translated the kinsman redeemer. And so what the what this provision in God's law was, and it was actually God set this out for several reasons. Um, it was uh, one of the reasons was if somebody uh, became poor and they had to sell their inheritance in the promised land, if they had to sell their inheritance, their kinsman, kinsman redeemer, one of their close relatives could buy back the land for them to redeem the land. So that's one of the provisions. Uh, the kinsman redeemer also, let's say somebody um, became a destitute and had to sell themselves into voluntary slavery. Their kinsman a redeemer, a, a close relative could become their kinsman redeemer and redeem them from that destitute situation and buy them back out of slavery. So there were several provisions there in Leviticus chapter 25 in which uh, uh, a, a close relative could perform this duty of what became known as the kinsman redeemer for, one of, uh, for, for a destitute relative. And so Naomi begins to process this in her head and she, I think as time goes on, she sees that there is a relationship developing here between Boaz and Ruth. Something maybe a little more. However, Boaz, being a little bit older than, than Ruth, uh, would have been improper for him to, uh, to propose to her and, and to, to ask her to be his wife. She being as young as wasn't today, you know, women weren't forward and, and so forth in the sense of a lot of times today. And so it really wasn't appropriate the other way. So Naomi uh, devises, uh, according to their culture, a way in which Ruth could propose uh, not marriage to Boaz, but in a sense it is. And she proposes that he become her kinsman redeemer. And so if you didn't read the text this past week, I encourage you to read that. Chapter 3 goes into detail about that. But uh, So the process goes through, and, and, and Ruth kind of proposes that to, to Boaz. And Boaz says, listen, I would be glad to do that. However, there is a relative closer than I. And so Boaz says, I must go to this other relative and see because uh, the, rel- the other relative may want to, first of all, redeem the land, the land that was Elimelech's, and then also redeem Ruth and Naomi and marry Ruth as well. And so Boaz goes to this other relative. The other relative at first says, yeah, I'll redeem the land. <laughs> and then Boaz says, well, I-, I, mean, I need to tell you, there's something else that comes with that. <laughs> 
You must also redeem it from the hand of Ruth the Moabitess. And along with that, take her as your wife. And now all of a sudden, oh, well, I don't know that I can do that. And he says, that's going to mess with my inheritance and so forth. And I believe he's just giving excuses and so forth. But he doesn't really want to do that. And so, because of the first close relative would not, Boaz then says that he will. He will perform the duty of a close relative. Buying back the land of Elimelech and Malon and Kilion, marrying Ruth and redeeming them from their desperate situation. Now, friends, who could have dreamt that? Amen? Who could have dreamt that God would provide in that way? And so we go back to the question I asked you to consider last week when you read through the book of Ruth. How do we see Jesus in the book of Ruth? Now, if you haven't picked up on this yet, um, either maybe you're new to Scripture, and that's okay, or uh, you need a little more processing, okay? Because, friends, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. I want to share with you just a couple of quick things on what were required in order for someone to be a kinsman redeemer. I want you to turn over in the New Testament to Galatians chapter 4. The first requirement for someone to be able to be the kinsman redeemer and, 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 and redeem and to rescue someone out of a out of that desperate situation was that they had to be a close relative. That's why Naomi got excited when she realized that God had placed Ruth in the field of Boaz. Again, we don't know how close a relative he was, but he was close enough to qualify that first that he would be a close relative. Won't you look at Galatians chapter four, verse four, what it says about our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Why is that important? He became human. He became one of us. He became one of our kinsmen, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Friends, just as Boaz became Ruth's kinsman redeemer and was able to do that, redeem Ruth and Naomi as well and the land because he was a close relative. Jesus became one of us so that he could die for us on the cross. How glorious is that, amen? That he was willing to step out of heaven. Just think about this. It boggles my mind that the God of heaven was willing to become a man so that he could redeem us from our sins. Second requirement for a kinsman redeemer was not only did he have to be a kin, a kinsman, but he also had to be able. He had to be able to buy it back. One of the things, you know, a lot of times there'd be somebody that's willing, but they didn't have the resources. Boaz had the resources. He was a wealthy man. He was able to purchase the land from Naomi and Malon and Kilion. And he was also able to, to, to bring uh, Ruth and Naomi under his wing and to care for them and to take care of them. Friends, just like Boaz, Jesus Christ is able, more than able, more than sufficient to cover all our sins. Amen? You see, he not only became human, but he lived a sinless life. He perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. You know, we talk about that we're all sinners and we all fall short of God's glory. You see, there are two ways for you to be saved. Some of you look at me funny, right? 
think I'm about to speak heresy. Some of you may say I do. Here's the, here's the first way. If you never, ever, 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 ever in your whole life sin, you can be saved by that way. Now, if we're going to be realistic about it, we've all sinned. Amen? So we can cross that out. However, Jesus never sinned. So he didn't have to have a redeemer. He could offer himself as our redeemer because he perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Therefore, he can stand before God, the Father, and and, and he has the right to offer himself in our place. He has that ability, amen? And that's what he's done for us. He is not only our close relative, he has offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. The third requirement for someone to be a kinsman redeemer, not only did they have to be a close relative, not only did they have to have the, the means or the ability to redeem, but they had to be willing. They had to be willing. I think it's very interesting. I, I, you know, sometimes you wonder why the Bible throws things in there and tells us things. I think it's very interesting that Boaz, uh, when Ruth uh, he, it's, it's, comes to his attention to, that he could be and the kinsman redeemer that Boaz says, there is a relative closer than I. I think that's interesting. Why, did, why do you think God put that in the scriptures? Why, why, did you, why do you think that, that, that that's in there? And that even their little um, interaction there going back and forth, that, that, that he ends up not being willing to redeem Ruth. Friends, because it takes a willingness. Jesus was willing to step out of heaven. He was willing to come and be a human being. Now, I know we don't know anything different than that. Amen. You know, but I know I was talking with several of you this morning. You know, the longer we live, the more we realize that these bodies break down uh, of the different mess we have to deal with as we go through life, whether it's disease or death of a loved one or heartache or heartbreak and all those things, friends. Jesus was willing to put on humanity. And be willing to go through and be human. Be willing to be tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And he was willing to do that for us. He was willing to go to the cross, to, to, to suffer, to be mocked, to be spat upon, to be ridiculed. To be, have a crown of thorns placed on his head. To be beaten with, 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 with a whip. Of, uh, and, and all those things, friends. And so, Jesus was not only a close relative. He was not only able to save us from our sins. He was Willing to be that kinsman redeemer. One who would redeem us from our sins and bring us back into a right relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I think that's one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture. It's also, I believe, uh, kind of an added bonus, extra interesting as we go on. You read the very last part of the book of Ruth and you find out that Boaz and Ruth had a son. Their son's name was? Obed. Obed had a son. His name was Jesse. Jesse had a son. His name was David. Yes, King David. Jesus was of the house and lineage of David. So here, Boaz and Ruth go on to become the great, I believe, great grandparents of King David. They are now in the lineage of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So Boaz not only is a foreshadowing of Jesus to come, he is his great, 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 whatever grandfather 
all the way back as well. What a glorious God we have. Amen? It shows you. You know, we talk about often how the Scriptures scream the name of Jesus and the, the redemption that God offers through Him all the way from Genesis to Revelation. I hope the kind of just a survey of the book of Ruth this morning, uh, this past week, has given you a bigger glimpse of that, of what God has done for you. You see, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, we've been separated from God by our sin. We've needed someone to save us, someone to redeem us from the sinful situation we're in. Jesus was willing to be our kinsman redeemer. That if we will put our faith and trust in him and him alone for our salvation, God the Father says that he will accept Jesus' death on the cross as payment for our sins. And he will clothe us with the righteousness of Christ so that we can stand forever before God the Father, clean in his eyes, even though we know we are not, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, I wanted to tell you all that to kind of set up for what we're going to do now, and that's observe what the, Jesus gave us, a simple ceremony. You know, I love it. It's, baptism is a simple ceremony that so beautifully, as we talked about earlier, pictures what happens in our life when we get saved. Baptism is such a beautiful picture of what Christ did on the cross for us, shedding his body, pouring out his blood for the payment for our sins. So I want to just encourage you now, I want to read the passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to encourage you to begin to, if you haven't already, prepare your heart to just remember and to reflect on what God has done for you, what Christ has done for you on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We're going to do things a little bit different this morning. And so um, here in a few minutes, when we pass out the the bread and the juice, we're going to pass both of those out. And I want you to just hold on to those and then we'll partake of those together. Um, But before our our men come forward this morning, I want to just take a few moments for you to respond to God. I don't know what God's been speaking to you about this morning, but before we come to the Lord's table, it's a, uh, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves. First of all, to see whether we are of the faith. And so if you come this morning, I want to I invite you. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, if you haven't, I want to invite you right now to just simply invite him into your life. Tell him you're willing to turn from your sin and doing life your way. And you want to put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone for your salvation. What a, what, I don't know of any better time to do that uh, than right, right now as we get ready to celebrate what He has done for us. But maybe you are a believer. The Bible says we need to, we need to check our hearts before we come to the Lord's table. We need to make sure there's no unconfessed sin in our life. 
You say, Pastor, how do I, how do I, how do I, uh, what do I do if, 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 if God brings things to mind? Here's what I want you to just pray. Here in a moment, we're going to have a moment of silence. I want you to just pray, Lord, search me. Show me if there's anything in my life that shouldn't be there. Friends, and as God brings those things to mind, I want you to just acknowledge that, they, that, that whatever he brings to your mind, yeah, Lord, you're right. That's sin. I need to get it out of my life. Would you forgive me from that? I turn from that now. And whatever it is, as God brings those things to mind, I just want you to cleanse your heart, your mind, confess that sin to him. Maybe, maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive. The Bible tells us that before we come to the Lord's table, we need to not have unforgiveness in our heart. We need to forgive our brothers, sisters who have wronged us. doesn't matter whether they've asked you for forgiveness or not. You release that. You say, Lord, I forgive them. Whatever it is, friends, I want to just invite you right now. Just to bow your heads, close your eyes. Just do business with God. Then as we celebrate what he's done for us, we'll ask our man just in a couple minutes to come on forward. gracious heavenly father lord as we come to your table this morning forgive us for the many ways in which we have sinned against you lord lord we are grateful for what you've done for us lord continue to do your work in our hearts and in our lives this morning as we remember you and your precious love for us in your name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.